This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We've not met before. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, so I I just want to welcome you and say it's great great to be together this morning. I do want to echo one thing that Rob mentioned earlier. And uh, that is just the, uh, the men's retreat on Thursday. So really, I want to ask the whole church, uh, it's a retreat, it's really a conference, it's right here. I want to ask the whole church to be in prayer for this, that really pray that God would speak to us by his word. Our, our ministry theme this year is transformed by the word. And so this is kind of a centerpiece of that in the middle of the ministry year. And uh, ministry year runs, you know, September through August. It's kind of in the middle of it. And we really want God to speak to us. I know there'll be tremendous information, but we're asking for much more than an information download. Uh, We're asking that the Word of God would change us as we respond to Him, that He'd give us grace to respond. So please pray, whether you're coming or not, please pray. And if you were unable to come, maybe you got work commitments or something like this, guys. Um, one thing that's a benefit of being the host church that it's right here is, since you don't have to travel, is that you could just sort of go a la carte and just come to some of it. So if you have a work conflict or something's going on, um, you already, you know, something you couldn't get out of on Saturday, whatever it is, uh, you can just go to the website and you can sign up for a session or two. You know, maybe you come Thursday night, Friday night, or Friday night, Saturday day, or you know, you're able to come to some of it, you can sign up on a website for that. So please, what, for whatever part you come to, it'll be worth it. Uh, it will be worth it. So today, uh, that'll be Thursday. So pray and come. Today, we're going to talk about Matthew 7. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're in chapter 7. It's 5, 6, and 7. So this is the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And where we're headed next is our next study. We're going to go to the Old Testament after this. And uh, we're going to study the book of Habakkuk which is a fascinating book on the themes of judgment and suffering. And so, you know, invite your friends. Uh, it's going to be really, no, it really will be helpful for your friends because we're going to be looking at some of the big questions of life. But today we're going to talk about log specks, pearls, and pigs, Jesus on judging others. So this comes from Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible, you could pull the one, there's one out under the seat in front of you. You could pull that out, turn to page 474, and then you'll be able to see what Jesus says uh, about a topic that we hear a lot of about uh, about in our culture today. Uh, if you have questions as we're going along, you can text them to that number, and we try to answer those questions on our weekly podcast, which comes out on Wednesday. Well, at one time, uh, I think it was arguable that John three sixteen was the best known saying of Jesus uh, in America. Uh, this was a known saying, and one, or at least the, the, te- the reference was known. And, and one reason, I'll be dating myself here a bit, but one reason it was well known is because on every major sporting event, like uh, the Super Bowl today, at every major sporting event at some point they would pan the camera and there was this guy in a rainbow wig. I don't know if it was one guy that went to all the games or if there was like a crew of rainbow wig guys, I don't know. But a rainbow wig guy, and he was just hold up, holding a sign that said John 3.16, just the reference. So he was assuming a lot, like that people would know that's in the Bible and then would go look, but, but I, I applaud, his, applaud his heart. So anyway, uh, he would just hold up that sign. So people knew like, oh yeah, John 3.16, that's something about Jesus, you know, that was kind of well known. But today, I think times have changed, and I would say without question, the, the most oft-quoted, often quoted saying of Jesus in our culture today is in today's passage that we're looking at. And it's this, Jesus said, judge not. Jesus said, judge not. So, don't judge me. Don't judge anybody. Uh, that is a common, I mean, how much do we, often do we hear that kind of thing? Who are you to judge? Which can be a very fair question at points. Um, don't be so judgy. I'm not sure that's even a word, but uh, don't be so judgy. So, we hear this a lot. Um, we're tempted to think this way, but we probably need some clarity on what did Jesus mean when he said, judge not. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see those two words. We're going to read on and see their context because Jesus largely explains, um, or he at least describes what he means by that and instructs us in how we are to apply that command. And it is a command, judge 
not. So let's read the text together. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. These are the words of Jesus. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, I want to look at two things in this passage. First of all, what is Jesus forbidding? That's the first thing I want to talk about. What is Jesus forbidding? And then secondly, what is Jesus commanding? Because he is commanding something in this passage. First of all, what is he forbidding? Let's begin by looking at the word judge. Verse 1, judge not. Now, when someone today says, don't judge me, or when we say that, don't judge me, what we likely mean is don't condemn me or don't condemn my actions. Don't assess my actions unfavorably. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't render a judgment that would be condemning about me. And that is certainly a possible meaning for uh, the word translated judge. But in the original language, there was a range of meaning for the word judge. It could mean, and by the way, we have a range of meaning in English. I, don't, I didn't need to say there's a range of meaning in the original because it's the same as true in English. There's a range of meaning for the word judge. It means to discern, to discern, to judge something. Uh, it means to evaluate, to separate, to decide. It means to decide, to assess to assess something, these kinds of words. This all means to judge. So to, me, to think it just means don't condemn people or don't condemn me, that's all that Jesus means. That's a very narrow interpretation or application of the term. When we use the word, we use it in all those usages. There's, it's very different to be a judge at the chili cook-off uh, than it is to condemn people. The same, same idea, but it's very different. Um, it's, it's different to uh, sort of judge a distance. I'm judging that distance. Uh, that's evaluating or assessing it as it is to condemn people. So we use the word in differing ways as well. So given the range of meaning, Jonathan Pennington, who wrote a commentary, a very helpful one, on the Sermon on the Mount, he translates this, do not judge unfairly. And that seems to be what Jesus is talking when we talking about. When we read on further in the passage, we're going to see that, that that's really what he is talking about. He's not saying never evaluate anything, never assess anything, never use your critical faculties in any way. I mean, certainly his disciples are to evaluate. They are to discern, but they are to do so fairly. This is why he speaks of measuring in the next verse. So for with the judgment, verse 2, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's sort of saying a measurement is, uh, you know, think of measuring, for instance, a a liquid or something like that. He's saying in the same way that you uh, measure out judgment, it will be measured back to you. So you you can't, you know, uh, measure out a gallon full of judgment on someone else and then expect to get an ounce of judgment in return. The way you measure it out is the way it's measured to you. So judge the way you desire to be judged. So judge fairly. Nobody wants to be unfairly judged or misjudged. Judge fairly. He can't mean never make a judgment about good and evil or never make a judgment about right or wrong or never make a judgment about wisdom or foolishness because five verses later, judge not is well known. Five verses later are equally the words of Jesus. Don't give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. 
He's not actually here calling somebody a pig or a dog, but he's using an analogy, which we'll look at in a minute. He's using an analogy of a dog and a pig to make a judgment about people's response. So he, in the very text, is is saying, hey, you're going to have to decide who is pig-like and dog-like and respond in a certain way. Or look 14 verses after judge not. That would be verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous rules, wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What he's saying is, sir, you must evaluate, you must assess someone's fruit who's claiming to speak for God. Anybody who claims to speak for God, you don't just take that as a given. There must be some evaluation of their fruit because some people are false prophets. So if there's no assessing, no evaluation, no opinions, no right or wrong, no good or evil, no wisdom or foolishness, how in the world are we ever going to assess a false prophet? So he can't mean never have an opinion about anyone or anything Because in the same chapters, he commands evaluation for the discerning Christian. But what he is talking about throughout is that our assessments and our judgments are charitable. We're going to see that. Our assessments and our judgments are true. Our assessments and judgments are fair. Ultimately, our assessments and judgments are based not on how we feel or what's the, the ideas of the moment, but on what the Scripture teaches. So our adjustments, our judgments are to have an objective foundation, which is not my preference, but what the Scripture teaches. Additionally, it's important to say that we may observe behavior, fruit, in this situation, he says, but we don't know anyone's heart or anyone's motives. We don't know anybody's intentions. And so there is a sense uh, in this in which we don't really ever know the full story of what someone is, what's going on inside of someone. Only God does. And so there's also a sense here in judge not, in, in that we don't ever judge like God does in fullness. God on the throne will judge every person and he will judge us according to what's inside, what people can't see, our motives, our intentions, our desires. So we're not to judge in a way that we're incapable of judging. We're incapable of knowing someone's internal thoughts and processes and intentions. We can only observe outward behavior. And even when we do that, we should probably do so, um, especially in people that we know that we're interacting with, we should probably do so in an inquiring way as opposed to a we-know-what-you-meant sort of a way. So we evaluate and can assess external things, but we don't know the heart. So discern fairly, so leave that to God. So to discern fairly, we are to discern in the way that we would want to be evaluated. You know, when we hold someone else to a standard in judgment, we are holding ourselves to that same standard. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So, as we judge others, we are, in essence, holding ourselves to that same kind of standard. So, we want to make sure it's a biblical assessment that we make of others. So, what does Jesus forbid when he says, judge not? He forbids unfairly judging people. Um, He says that we are to assess later in the text in the same way. Well, he actually says in verse 2, in the same way that we want to be assessed. God ultimately forbids us usurping his role in judging people's eternity or their motives or the intentions, stuff that we cannot know. So what is he commanding? Because he commands something as well in this passage. He commands self-evaluation. He commands self-judgment. The judgment that he really emphasizes in this passage is self-judgment. And there's two aspects to this self-judgment that he talks about. He talks about the priority of self-judgment, and by priority, I mean what comes first. So he talks about the fact we need to judge ourselves first. And then secondly, he talks about the proportion of self-judgment. How do I judge myself in light of someone else? How do I judge myself in light of someone else, especially in a conflict kind of a situation? How 
How do I look to myself and how do I look to them? So first of all, I want to talk about the priority of self-evaluation. What goes first? It is easy to find fault with others. You may be finding fault with me this very moment. It is easy to find fault with others. It is easy to criticize. That's like the default mode for most people. The default mode is to look around and to assess and find, you know, what is displeasing, distasteful, what do I not like about that person or that situation. That is easy to do. It is easy to measure people according to our preferences. I don't really like that. I don't really like the way she does that. I don't like the way he does that. It's so easy to take our assessment sort of meter and just aim it at other people and assess them rather than use it on ourselves. But Jesus says we are first to look at our own faults by judging ourselves. And he makes this point with a very vivid illustration about a log and about a speck. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter prior to becoming an itinerant rabbi. So he is likely here using an illustration from his own work life. I think this is an interesting point. It's not the point of the text, but I think it's an interesting point to recognize that Jesus really does use everyday life um, as teachable moments. Jesus is not just some kind of hyper-spiritual guru whose feet aren't grounded in reality, but he uses very real uh, sort of everyday illustrations that people can follow. So he, and he does a lot of that from work. So for instance, there's lots of illustrations that would apply to farmers, casting seed and the growth of crops and this sort of thing. Uh, he does a lot for fishermen, and he's not just talking about the leisurely, like you've got a summer vacation and you're going to go fishing. Not that. He's talking about people who work as, as fisher, fishermen for a living. He talks about that. Uh, he talks about uh, everyday household kinds of stuff. You know, the cleaning of a house. He talks about, hey, you wash the inside of the cup, but you, just the opposite. You wash the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside dirty. Or he says, you know, a lady loses a coin, she sweeps up her whole house. So he uses this sort of household work kind of illustrations. Well, this one is very likely from his life's work. Because the word translated log in the ESV is often a word that's used to speak of a beam of wood. A beam of wood that would be used in a roof or a ceiling. And that's why the NIV translates the word plank. Here's the NIV translation of verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So this is maybe something Jesus is, he, he knows planks. Maybe he even knows sawdust in the eye or he's seen it. Uh, and verse 5, what he says here is first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the priority. He's saying deal with your log or your plank before you pay attention to a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye. You know, if you've grown up in church, <clears throat> you've heard this many times. And we can become so familiar with this sort of uh, language that it's just like a story to us. And we don't think like Jesus is really telling something that's vivid, that's to be sort of captivating the, the mind of saying, what, you know, he's really talking about, imagine if this happened. So in the first service, no lie, I spontaneously asked Caleb to stand up. This is less spontaneous because it happened an hour ago. He had no idea when it happened in the first service. So Caleb, fake like you don't know that I'm calling you up again. So stand up. He had no idea. This is not rehearsed. Have we ever met? No, we've never met. Okay. So what I did was I made him act in the first service. Say, Caleb, did you practice during the break? Act like you got a speck in your eye. Oh, yes, that was very, that was convincing. You all believe that he got a speck in his eye. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is if someone here has a speck in their eye, speck in their, don't wash it out. No, that's, that ruins the illustration. So just hold your eye and act like you're in pain. Okay, so then what if somebody comes to help them? Caleb, what's wrong? I got a speck in my eye. Oh, that's convincing. You do? Well, let me help you. Hang on there. I'm an expert at getting specks out of people's eyes. Hang on there. And so then I come over here, 
I'm going to help you. I can help you. What is it that you need? Caleb, where did you go? Oh, no. Where did you go, Caleb? Oh, where did you go, Caleb? I get specks out of people's eyes all the time. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Just come towards me. Just come towards me. (laughs) Hang on. Okay, I cannot help Caleb with a beam, which I stole from the building project across the street an hour ago. I cannot help him (laughs) with a stolen plank. It's ruined wood, and I'm going to return it. It was in the junk pile. As soon as the service is over, I'm returning it. But I feel kind of guilty. Okay, so I can't help Caleb. I can't see. I've got bad vision because there's something in my eye. But if I remove the plank, which is what he says, first remove the plank, then I can come over to my brother, and I can help him get the speck out of his eye. See how that works? I'm glad you feel better. Anytime. Okay. This is what Jesus is saying. He's using a humorous illustration. He's using a vivid picture that is absurd. And he's saying, if someone had a speck of sawdust in their eye, how could you help them if you literally had a beam growing out of your eye socket? How could you help that person unless you first deal with your beam, then you can see clearly to help the other person? And the reality is, he's not talking about planks and sawdust here, is he? It's an illustration. And the illustration is rather obvious. He's saying that we must first deal with our own stuff before we deal with other people's stuff. I must first address my own sin before I address someone else's sin. I must first be aware of my own weaknesses, my own limitations, my own failures. I should become an expert in assessing myself and deal with those issues before I go off trying to fix everybody else. It's the question of priority. Verse 5 again, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's the reality. If we don't see our own sin, we don't see clearly. We're often offended by other people's actions. And and one of the real problems is we're just not seeing accurately, perceiving correctly. We, We think that someone else is terribly wrong. How in the world could they think that? Why doesn't she do such and such? I am shocked that he said that. Did you see what he posted? That is unbelievable that he posted that. How could they? When in reality, the major issue to deal with in that moment is my self-righteousness before I then can help another person, or before I then can actually even see clearly. We don't see well with a plank in our eye. We don't discern other people's actions well when we fail to discern our own sins. I recently had an interaction with a person that I prepared for, and I, it was one of those times where you're going to meet with somebody, you're going to encounter them, and you expect the worst. Now, it wasn't just a random thing. There was some stuff in this person's, um, there were some previous interactions with this person that, that, that happened, but I believed the worst. And so I thought, when I interact with this person, here's what's going to happen. They're going to treat me unfairly. Uh, they're going to find fault. Um, they're not going to see that they would bear any responsibility. They're going to put the responsibility on me. So I prepared before encountering this person and did some things to try to erase any problems that might be there. Uh, I also went over my mind, prepared. Have you ever done this? Prepared. If they say this, then here's my defense. If they say this, here's how I will, here's how I can counter that and explain and et cetera, et cetera. So I go into this encounter expecting to be treated unfairly, to be criticized. It's just not going to be, you know, that some, that they're, they're not going to be satisfied. I came into the encounter, and the person starts the conversation 
by profusely thanking me. Very genuine, wasn't flattery, it wasn't the setup for something, but, there was no but. They went on to speak, really honoring me in a way that was, it was almost uncomfortable. Really, you think that? And as soon as the meeting was over, I, I texted my wife, it, it said, or I called her, I can't remember which, but I reached out right away saying, I got to tell you about this meeting. It was nothing like what I anticipated. What had happened? Well, I lived in someone else's motives and heart leading up to that meeting. I thought, okay, here's what they're going to do. Here's what they're going to say. Here's the kind of person they are. Here's how they think of the world. Here's how they think of me. And I was wrong. I didn't know what the person was thinking. I didn't know what they were going to do. And how much of our emotional energy is spent evaluating stuff we don't know, assessing people, predicting people, confident that we know what they will do. It points that this is first deal with your own suspicion and judgment so that you can see clearly is the point. We need to pay attention to our log and not another's spec. And if we don't, we are hypocrites. This is stinging language, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is the only time he calls his disciples hypocrites. The other references to hypocrites are religious leaders. Here he says, if you do this, you are a hypocrite to his followers. Growing in Jesus, following Jesus as a disciple means growing in repentance. And growing in repentance means growing in self-awareness. And growing in self-awareness means focusing on myself and my issues before I'm focusing on someone else. Growing in self-awareness means I'm listening to the Word of God and looking for the Holy Spirit to clearly illumine the Word of God and shine in my heart with self-evaluation. That's the priority. First, get rid of the log. Then you can see someone else. And here's what happens sometimes. It didn't, it didn't work in the little um, Academy Award performance you saw today. But uh, sometimes, sometimes when you remove the plank, you go, oh, there's not really a speck there at all. Sometimes it, it, we've blown it all out of proportion. Okay, here's the second point. The priority, deal with ourselves first. The second point is the proportion of self-evaluation. It's not just that we need to deal with our sin, but we need to see our sin as greater than our neighbor's. Now, there is a gut reaction to that kind of comment right away. We go, well, yeah, but you don't know. They did something really bad. Okay, you don't know. They did something really, really bad. But we still need to see our sin as the more concerning the more grievous, the, the bigger the plank versus the speck. <clears throat> why? Well, here's why. I can't know another person's heart. I can't know their motive. And I'm not responsible for their heart, their motive, their actions, or their failures. But I am to, by the God's grace, discern my own heart and motive. And I am 100% responsible for my actions and my failures. So when it comes to understanding the motive behind something, when it comes to understanding what am I responsible for, I got a log and they got a speck regardless of who is doing what. Jesus says, how you judge, it will, you will be judged, and how you measure, you will be measured. So this means that if you put the weight of if you put the weight of self-evaluation, if that is the proportion, if the proportion is self-evaluation and not others' evaluation, if you see you're in a conflict, if you see your contribution as greater than theirs because you're responsible for your contribution, if you see it that way, then you will be measuring out mercy to others. When I see my part as worse in a marital conflict, if I see my part is worse than Ginger's, then I am measuring out mercy to her. And this is what Jesus measures out to us 24-7. Jesus measures mercy to us for our sins. He is giving us more mercy than we can handle. It's not an ounce or a pint or a gallon. 
It is an infinite amount of mercy. We sang it today, our sins there are many. His mercy is more. And I will not access mercy or be aware of mercy if I'm concerned with someone else's sins primarily and mine secondarily. But when I am dealing with my law and coming to the cross and receiving forgiveness from Christ and receiving his power afresh, then I am drenched in mercy and prepared to extend that mercy to someone else. Praise God. Psalm 103 says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treated Jesus as our sins deserve. And so he is measuring mercy, vast mercy to us. And you're in a a position to receive mercy when you're in a position to acknowledge your sin, your fault. If you're obsessed with what someone else is doing or not doing in their sin, you're not in a position to receive mercy. You're in a position to receive the same kind of evaluation you bring of others of yourself. In applying the log and spec in conflict in particular... Um, The goal is not in conflict to let's get a hundred percent accurate proportion of responsibility. Let's find out what you're responsible for exactly, and let's name it, let's get a percentage on it. Let's find out exactly what I'm responsible for. Let's name it, put a percentage on it. No, in a conflict, here's how I should be looking at it. I'm 100% responsible for my part in the conflict. That's log. That's log. It doesn't matter the proportion of who did what ultimately matters the proportion of responsibility. What do you think happens in a conflict when both people come into the conflict or come into the mediation, the reconciliation, when they both come in very aware of their own log? What do you think happens? It goes great. Conflicts blow up when everybody's worried about the speck of the other person and they come in swinging their log lopping off heads in the middle of it, poking people in the face. That's the problem. When both people come in and say, hey, you know what? I don't want to get too close. I'll probably bang you. I got a log here. Let, here, let me deal with my log. Here's what I did. What, what do you think about my log? Maybe I, how did I treat you or offend you? Or what was the effect on you? Oh, oh, I'm grieved by that. Please forgive me. I ask the Lord to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. Oh, all of a sudden, the log's on. The other person, the same thing. Then there is hope. Instead of, well, you're 75%, I'm 25% guilty in this way. It, it, it's my plank is huge. It's not, you're 80% guilty. It's, I'm, a, I'm 100% responsible for what I've done. And so that is a plank. And when I see that and ask forgiveness, the plank is removed and it adjusts my spiritual vision from self-righteousness from self-pity, from anger, from vengefulness, from judgmentalism, so I can relate to the other person differently with mercy. I wrote down a note. I don't, know if it's, I don't think it's a quote. I don't know where I actually saw this, but I wrote down a note that said, the more I am aware of my faults, the more charitably I will judge others. That's true. The more I'm aware of my own humanity, the more I'm looking to make a bridge into your humanity rather than to sit on the divine seat of judgment with me and God assessing everybody else's humanity and sin. Sinclair Ferguson, in the book on the Sermon on the Mount we have out at the Resource Center, he wrote, for in the discovery of our own hearts, we learn to have compassion on others in their weakness. That's the big idea of the proportion of our self-evaluation. When we evaluate ourselves with that kind of proportion, then we're ready to be compassionate to another sinner, compassionate to another person that's weak, maybe in a different area than we, but another person that's weak, another person that struggles. We're able to extend compassion and forgiveness to another person like us. And by the way, when we do that, that kind of help is much better received. Have you ever been in a conflict or struggling and the other person leads with humility and forgiveness, asking forgiveness? How do you want to respond to that person? When someone you can tell visibly by their words, by their countenance, they're coming to you with compassion, sympathy, oh, grief for their own 
contribution to hurting you. When they come with that kind of thing, you're ready to open up your eye and say, yeah, help me out here. Because they're not coming in swinging a plank. When we deal with our own log first, and when we see our contribution as the bigger one and the others as a speck, we are set up the other, for the other person to receive our help. I don't find a lot of people looking for help that says, hey, can I find someone, could the most self-righteous person here come help me because that's where I really know I'll get the help. Who's holier than thou? Could you come help me? No. You're looking for a compassionate helper. So people who are attracted to Jesus. Jesus is holy and Jesus is compassionate. So, what does he command? Self-evaluation. The priority of self-evaluation, deal with our own sin first. The proportion of self-evaluation, my sin is the greater sin. But he also says something about fair evaluation of others. He not only commands self-evaluation, but he does command fair evaluation of others. In the log and the speck, we see the goal is ultimately to remove the speck, help remove the speck from another person. The goal is to help. Now, the person here is called a brother to get the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's probably talking about how we relate to fellow Christians here. Those, this attitude is how we should relate to everyone. It's, it's very much a winsome witness to the world because it catches them off guard. Most people in the world assume that Christians are self-righteous, and many of us are, or at least all of us are at times. And so are people who aren't Christians for that matter. But they assume that the church is self-righteous. So when we interact with people with humility and owning our own uh, failures, it's, it's surprising. So if we relate this way to people that don't know Christ, it is a compelling witness that represents Jesus to the world. But here, he's talking about helping a brother. And it's interesting that, he's, that the example is sawdust or a speck in the eye. Uh, because what is more sensitive than one's eye? Once you remove your plank, then you uh, first take your own log out, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then, so the goal is to take it out to a very delicate part. In the illustration, the eye is very delicate. So we, we are careful, we are sensitive, we are compassionate and sympathetic. One author said, dealing with the eye is sensitive, but dealing with the soul is even more so. The illustration he uses here is only amped up when we start talking about people's hearts and their thoughts and their emotions and their experiences. It amps up beyond an eye when we talk about sensitivity. So what about people that don't want help? What about a situation where we're not perhaps acting self-righteously, but someone doesn't want help? I think that's what the dogs and the pigs are about in verse 6. Dogs and pigs were both unclean animals. And so I think what Jesus is referring here is people who are outside covenant relationship with God, people that you would share the good news of the kingdom with. And he in essence says the pearls are the message of the gospel, the good news, the message of God. It's something very valuable. But he said there's certain people who are outside belief, outside of covenant, who will trample that, who will not treat it as valuable, who will discard it. Uh, there's other people uh, that might be like uh, dogs that will turn and attack you. So some people will disregard it, not appreciate it, not want it, get it out of here, just trample it. Other people will attack you for bringing it. So in those situations, you don't cast your pearls. You don't uh, continue in that. I think what he is saying is that if someone remains uh, completely unresponsive and belligerent, that there is a time to change your approach with that person and don't try to cram the message down their throat. Don't cram the pearls down their throat. Uh, Jesus says something similar in another place where if you go somewhere, go to a town, they don't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. You change your strategy with them. I think the ESV study Bible uh, explains this as well as any. This is very simple, and oftentimes when I get a hard text, I find a simple quote and share it with you and hope nobody texts in a question about it. So here it is, because this is my answer. Uh, verse 6, 
Uh, the ESV Study Bible says, Believers are to be merciful, forgiving, and slow to judge, yet they should wisely discern the true character of people and not indefinitely continue proclaiming the gospel to those who adamantly reject it so that they can move on and proclaim the gospel to others. It may mean something like this, that there comes a time when someone, if they are don't want to hear it, say, stop talking to me about that, or just want to attack you in return, there's a time just to take a break and pray and say, Lord, open up, change their heart and open up a place where I can share with them. But don't invest all of one's emotional energy, all of one's relational time in someone that's just fighting you. There are plenty of people that are open and want to hear the news. So pray for that person, befriend that person, love that person, do not cram the gospel down their throat and incite more argumentation and opposition and go out and find someone who does want to hear the message. I think that's what's being talked about there. So how do we apply this? Well, let me ask you, where do you tend to be judgmental? That's the point you apply it. What are the issues? Most of us have certain issues where we judge other people, judge other Christians because they don't believe or practice like we do on that issue. There's a strong opposition to them. We judge, other, we judge people from other religions um, with an attitude towards them. What are the types of issues? What are the type of people that you find yourself tempted to judge and assess like you're better than they are? It could be uh, it could be someone because of their gender, they're the other gender than you, and you judge them. Or uh, they're another race or ethnicity, and you're tempted to judge them. So sometimes it's people or types of people that we just, well, we just forget all about our log, and we judge, assess them unfairly. We, are, we prejudge them at times, prejudice. In which relationships in your life does the other person's sin seem massive to you right now while yours seems small or non-existent? Are there any relationships where you look around and go, or especially a conflict, where you say, I can't, they have done so much and I've contributed nothing to this or very little to this? Okay, I'll grant 5% is my fault. Okay, that 5% should be a log that is huge in your eyes because that's what you're responsible for. Why do we do that? Why in conflict in particular, why in judgment do we tend to say they've got a log and I've got a speck? Why do we tend to be harsh in our judgments, strong in our judgments, arrogant in our assessments of other people? I think there are two opposing reasons this happens. I'm going to say this isn't in the text. This is more how I see this play out in my own life and in the life of others. It's an application of the text. I think one kind of context where we tend to be very judgmental with others is when their sins are very similar to ours. And we, in, we in essence, maybe feel guilty or discouraged about our own failures, and we see that in them, and we sort of pounce on it. Have you had this experience? If you're a parent, you've had this experience. If your kid is getting old enough to start mirroring some of your bad behavior, some of the things you've been working on for 30 years, 40 years, 70 years, and it's showing up in them, we can be very quick, you know? If you're an angry person and you see your kid getting angry, stop being angry. We see, I mean, you see it in them, and you pounce on that. We will not be angry in this house, except for me. But you see that coming out in your kid. You tend to put things off. How many times do I have to tell you not to procrastinate your assignments? I've been procrastinating for 40 years, but you don't procrastinate, right? We see something in someone else. Sometimes we feel guilty about it. Sometimes we're just frustrated we're not. And when we see it in others, we're quick. We give less room to them. Because maybe we give less room to ourselves. The answer to that, when we see, our, see it in others and we want to be very judgmental, is to go to the cross say, Lord, I, you know what? I'm an impatient person, procrastinating. I'm a lazy person in that area. God, I'm an angry person. 
And would you please forgive me, and I'm going to enlist some help, and I'm going to try to grow so that when I begin to deal with my own log, when I see that in my kid or my friend or someone else's life, I'm able to say it's a point of connection, not judgment, but a bridge from our brokenness, our sinfulness together. It connects us because I've dealt with my log, I'm dealing with it, and I see myself as just like you, and I can come alongside and help. It should, it should engender compassion in me, not frustration and anger in me. The other time I think that we're very judgmental with people is the exact opposite. When we look at someone and their sins are very unlike ours, not very like ours, but very unlike ours. So we look at someone else and we go, I, man, I cannot relate to that. And so we just judge harshly their actions. Someone who has never looked at porn in their life I see, see this in marriages. Someone who's never looked at porn in, lo- in their life, and then another person has and is struggling trying to stop doing that, and the first person is disgusted. First person is angry. The first person, I would never, they might not say that, but I would never. You, you can't help someone with a speck in their eye when you've got a log of self-righteousness and anger and I would ne- when the I would never comes to mind, we're in deep trouble in that moment. Maybe it's something else. You look at someone and go, man, they're so gluttonous. Why do they do that to themselves? I would never do that. I would never do that. I take care of myself. I've got to control every detail of my life in the universe, and that's not an issue. But why would they do that? As if you don't overindulge in anything in life at all. Gambling. How could they, they're a Christian, how could they still be, have they not heard of stewardship? I've spent every penny I've ever had perfectly. Have they not heard of stewardship before? You know, and we just, I'm not like that. We look at their sins and we say, that is so different from me. Maybe it's in a conflict situation. You're angry because someone else fails to follow through on their commitments and it's affecting you, but you don't see your impatience with their lack of follow through as a log. You just see them as unfaithful. So they're so different. I always get my assignments in on time. I always do what I'm I'm saying I'm going to do, which isn't true. But if if, even if it was, I can't relate to that type of sin. No one's ever helped by someone that comes in and says, I cannot relate. Man, are you serious? You think that? You did that? Never. I recently had an observation of two different people interacting a bit, one interacting with the other. It was fascinating to me. It was two people that were identifying as addicts. First person was alcoholic. Second person struggled with the use of prescription meds. The alcoholic said to the person who uses prescription meds, you know, I think about alcohol, I, I can't drink, they were both sober. I cannot drink the rest of my life, I, you know, alcohol is my go-to. But I cannot relate to overusing prescription meds. person said, you know, I had a prescription that I didn't use, it was pain pills or something, I didn't use it all, I carried it around with me forever, never even thought about, oh yeah, I should probably use that. The other person, just hearing that, would, might, might feel like, well, where are they? You know, they would feel compelled But the first person said this, I can't relate to the substance, but I can completely relate to the addiction. I get it. Mine's different, but I get it. And I thought that is a beautiful model for relating with other people. My weaknesses may be different than yours, but I'm weak. My sins may be different than yours, but I'm a sinner. My temptations may be different than yours, but but I battle temptation. And I want to come alongside and understand and help, not distance myself as if that's not me. I want to say I am made of the same stuff on the inside. We want to build a bridge to other people's weakness. We want to build a bridge to other people's humanity. We want to make a connection with other people's weakness, sins, rebellions, and failures. We want to find a likeness as fallen people with them. Not our differences, and I would never. So who is it for you? Who have you recently been critical of? 
With whom are you in a conflict? Which of your own faults might be blinding you right now? Ask God to help. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me. Open my eyes so that I can see clearly. And here's the good news. Jesus died for judgy people. Jesus died for self-righteous people. Jesus died for people who say, I would never. Jesus died for people who see their sins in others and call them out in a way they would never want to be called out. Jesus died for people that don't express mercy to others, but express judgment for others. Jesus died for people who are very unaware of themselves. Jesus died for people that have two protruding planks from their eyes, and they cannot see their own sin, but they are inspecting everyone else's specs and calling them out. Jesus died for those kind of people and for those sins. That's you and that's me. And he not only died, but he rose to defeat that sin, and he poured out his spirit to empower us. He forgives us our judgmentalism, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us grace to think about others in a different way, to love others in a different way, to relate to others in a different way, to assess right and wrong according to his standards. This isn't lowering the standard of holiness at all. Jesus never lowers the standard of holiness but to realize that all of us break the standard of holiness and we need mercy. And so by looking at ourselves, we, we receive mercy for ourselves and then we extend mercy to other people. Jesus came up out of the grave to give us the power to see people in a right way, to judge fairly, compassionately, and with care and support. So who is it for you? What is the situation in your life? What are the issues that you find yourself judging others on? Where might there be a blindness? Are we even courageous enough to say, open my eyes, Lord, that I might see the log that is in my eye so that I can freely love my brothers and my sisters and care for those around. God wants to give us freedom in this area of judgment. It comes from the cross of resurrection. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.